0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Today, we're gonna start a a journey together as a church. We're gonna embark on something that I, I think is gonna really shift some things for us as a church here in this city, and we're calling it Wind and Fire. All throughout this series, we're gonna be looking at what I'm going to be calling the extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the uprising of the early church in the book of Acts. And my conviction is, of course, that all of our lives will never be the same. I mean, that's the goal each and every week, right? But I really believe that God is going to do something new and fresh among us, and I'm very excited about it. My hope is that for any of you, that that you will at least never look at the person or the work of the Holy Spirit the same way ever again. So, Today we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, and all throughout this series we're going to be looking at what I'm going to be referring to as the acts of the Holy Spirit that I believe dramatically compel the church forward in her mission both then and now. This is my conviction, that God wants to help us as a courageous people living in the earth today as we enter our fifth year of ministry as a church. Come on, somebody. How good was that last week? For those of you that missed out on the tacos, oh man, let me tell you. But how good was it just to celebrate the milestones and the markers of the faithfulness of God in our life? I believe that as we enter this next year, this fifth year of ministry, which is a big, big deal, that the Lord is going to help us become more emboldened in our mission. And what is our mission, you ask? Here it is, to help people, ordinary people like you and me and others, become courageous followers of Jesus in Salt Lake City and beyond. That's the mission of God for this church. How many of you would agree with me that it's going to take more than great ideas to accomplish this? It's going to take more than great programs to accomplish this and, and great resources. It's going to take the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish because God has tasked us with a mission and he has given us a very big vision for this city and beyond. Here it is to see people become courageous followers of Jesus, that love their community, eagerly serve their city, and brightly influence the nations. That love their community, that, that consists of this church and your family and friends, that eagerly serve their city. We know that God has placed us here in Salt Lake for a reason, and that go on to brightly influence the nations because the calling of God on this church and on your life, and when I say this church, I mean you, the calling of God on your life is to make disciples of all nations. And the neat thing about the day and age in which we live is that God's actually made that possible through technology, through social media, through not just missions and, and uh, the ability to physically go, but the ability to get behind those that are going. And as a church, I want you to know that you are, you're giving toward people that are touching the nations right now. And I think that's a pretty amazing thing. So as a local church, we, we have this conviction that what God does in us shouldn't stay here. It shouldn't remain here. It should reach the nations. There should be implications for the nations of the world. Amen? Which is why I believe one of our core values has been and will always be that God would cause us to become a truth-formed, say it with me, truth-formed, spirit-empowered people. Truth-formed, spirit-empowered. What, what do we mean by that? What, what we mean by that is that we want the truth of God's word to shape us. And to speak to us in a living way, and to direct us, and to transform us into looking more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. That is the the goal that God has for all of our lives Christ likeness in Him. But it also means that we want His Holy Spirit, the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, to empower us and to send us. We need wind and fire. We need wind and fire. So regarding wind and fire, I want you to listen to what John the, Bapti- the John the baptizer had to say in Matthew chapter three, verse 11. He says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Say the spirit. Fire. And fire. fire. And fire. Story time. As a young person growing up in the church, My parents got saved when I was a a very wee little lad. And uh, as a young person growing up in the church, I remember hearing people talk about the Spirit in all different ways. Maybe some of you also have. I remember hearing people say things like, the ghost is coming to get you. (laughs) Now, I grew up in the 80s during a time where the movie Ghostbusters was really popular. And so I was freaked out. When people would say, the ghost is coming for you, I'd be like, do I need to hide? Right? I don't want Slimer coming after me. I don't want the, the, the what is it, the big marshmallow man to get me. No, I, I, I was a little freaked out by that. But then sometimes I hear people say things like, oh, the fire of God is going to fall on us. And I thought, do I need to call the fire department? Like, what's, do I need to stop, drop, and roll? Anybody remember those fire drills that you used to have to do as a kid? Stop, drop, and roll. So I wasn't sure about all this language regarding the Spirit, but the truth is this. The the Scriptures actually use a lot of different language to talk about God the Holy Spirit in His person, in His essence, in His attributes. Listen to some of what the Scriptures have to say about the Spirit of God. In the Hebrew, one one of the words used for the Spirit is ruach. Ruach. And ruach signifies the, the presence of God. It's sometimes likened to a wind or a, a large or, or, or violent blast or gust of wind. And it shows up right at the start of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read it together. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, the Ruach of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. In addition to the Bible talking about the Holy Spirit as wind, He's also referred to as fire. And we see the, the presence of God show up like a consuming flame. In Exodus 3, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And then later in the Exodus story, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 3, God reveals himself to the people as a consuming fire, as an all-consuming flame. Here's what it says. Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire, the Hebrew word is akal esh, akal Aish. It means a consuming fire, a a fiery pillar or a torch. And so we have the wind of God, the breath of God, which brings life. And we have the fire of God, which illuminates and brings light. And all throughout this series, we're gonna be talking about wind and fire in in this way. But I want you to understand that the spirit of God is not divided among his attributes. He's one. The Israelites would say it this way, our God is is one it's the Shema and they used to pray it every day but it's this idea that even though there are many different things that we'll see in the character and in the person of God the Holy Spirit he is not divided among his attributes he is uniquely and perfectly unified in one We believe that. So when Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit, it's going to talk about the presence of the Lord in all these ways. You're going to hear fire. You're going to hear wind. You're going to hear storm. You're going to hear uh, violent earthquakes. You're going to hear all these different things. And then you're going to hear about the still, small voice and and ways in which God speaks to us in less dramatic, violent ways. Which brings us to the book of Acts. If you have a a Bible, go with me to the book of Acts today. We're going to begin right there in in chapter 1. I'll also make a quick disclaimer I'm going to be teaching from the ESV throughout this entire series, so if you don't have an ESV Bible or you'd like one, go by the Connect Center and grab one, or pull it up on your smartphone. You version is fantastic. We're going to begin today with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as you're turning there. And to set this up, I want to say this. As we enter this story that's being told here in the book of Acts, we're encountering Jesus at his ascension. He has died He has rose, and now he is appearing to his disciples, his followers, his faithful ones, for 40 days. And he's gonna teach them things. Here's what it says. Acts chapter one, verse one. In the book, in the first book, oh Theophilus, this is the person that Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, is writing to. He says this I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What is the first book he's referring to? It's Luke's gospel. It's the gospel of Luke. Verse 2 Until the day when Jesus was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, say, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, many proofs. I want you to underline that or swipe that or highlight that in your Bible. At Alpha, we talk a lot about the fact that there are many proofs or evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And so here Jesus is alive, and he's presenting all of the evidence for who he is and for what he's just done. And it goes on to say this, and he appeared to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God. What was the primary, I guess we could call it mission or focus of Jesus's earthly ministry? It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. For about three and a half years and then for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus had one mission and he had one mandate and it was the kingdom of God. It was to advance His father's kingdom. You might be saying, Well, what what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? Let's let's define some terms today. The kingdom of God is the dynamic rule and the reign of God that has broken into the present time in the life, person, and work of Jesus. Sometimes in Matthew's gospel, it's referred to as the kingdom of the heavens, but it's the same thing. It's about the kingdom. And to better understand what the kingdom is and what it's all about and what it looks like, all we have to do is look. At Jesus, All we have to do is, is look at what he said about his own relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter four, verse 18. And I think it's a great summary of what the kingdom is all about. He says this, quoting from Isaiah 61, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has what? Anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to those who are uh, to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The entire scope and the focus of Jesus's earthly work and mission was to advance his father's kingdom in all of these ways. And we just, we just read them. Here they are underlined for you. By proclaiming good news to the poor, we call that gospel. It's the good news of Jesus for all. By proclaiming liberty to the captives, we call that freedom. By opening the eyes of the blind, recovering their sight, we call that healing. By setting the oppressed free, we call that deliverance. By declaring the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee, we call that grace. The unmerited, undeserved favor of God. The big question I want us to wrestle with today is this. How did Jesus do all of this stuff? How did Jesus do it all? How did Jesus proclaim good news to those who needed it? How did he set people free that were demonized and oppressed? How did he heal the sick? How did he raise the dead? How did he do all this stuff? Well, verse 18 provides us with a solid clue. Let's read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I want you to underline that word or highlight that in your Bibles today. How did Jesus do the things he did? He did them through the anointing, through the anointing of God that was on his life, through the power and the presence of his spirit operating both in and on his life. And here's where I want to pivot and help us think about how this applies to us today. If Jesus did all those things, as fully God, I'm still impressed. I'm still impressed, right? But I'm not sure that I can follow in his footsteps. But if Jesus did all those things as fully God and as fully man, with all the same temptations that you and I face, with all the same limitations that we face, with all the humanity that we live with, then consider me officially curious Because we know that Jesus suffered, we know that Jesus endured pain, we know that Jesus was human in every way and without sin, but we also know from Luke 4 that he was anointed with the Spirit of the Lord. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit, which means that if Jesus needed the anointing to do this stuff, you and I do too. You and I need the power and the presence of God himself at work in and on our lives. I want to suggest to you, and kind of my big idea for us today as we kind of kick off this series with sort of more of an overview and more of a teaching than perhaps a preaching, but I want to suggest to you that in order for you to do all the things that God is calling you to do in the days ahead, that you're going to need the power and presence of God to do it. Now, here's here's my concern my concern is that we've gotten really good at doing a lot of stuff without him, right? Our churches, I can say that there have been times where I have operated in my own power and in my own strength. And let me tell you, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing worth remembering. How about you? You ever, you ever been at a place in life where you're just doing stuff and you feel like you're, you're tired or you're kind of burnt out? Might I suggest that maybe you're doing things in your own strength rather than in his? Might I suggest that you need the power and the presence of God in your life and on your life, just like Jesus did. And let's look at what Jesus says about it here in the very next verse of Acts chapter 1. Verse four says this, and while he was staying with his disciples, he ordered them not to depart from, Jesus, or from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they had this, this future hope that God would restore Israel to its place of prominence in the earth. And he said this, He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus assures them that there is a a promise for their life, a promise of Power and presence. Say it with me today. Power Power. and presence. Maybe before Christ, your life was a version of works, righteousness, and religion where you went through the motions and you had a religion that had no power in it. Can I invite you to consider the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence that he has for your life today? Can I I invite you to consider the fact that maybe there's some things on your life that God has uniquely called you to do. Things related to why you are here on this earth. We might say your purpose, right? And those things can only be accomplished and achieved with his power and help. With the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. What a declaration. What a promise from Jesus. He says, you will receive power. He doesn't say you might receive power. He says you will. So my question is, if that's a promise for our life and we're not experiencing power, is God's word wrong? Well, no. (laughs) The simple answer is no. Perhaps there's something in us that needs to change. Perhaps there's priorities and things and appetites that we need to establish for him in yielding to his presence, and yielding to his spirit, what we call surrender, where we get out of the way and we let God begin to operate and work again in our lives. The promise of God for your life and for mine to experience wind and fire is not limited to your background. It's not limited to your education. It's not limited to your parents or your family. It's not limited to your income, how much money you make or don't make or wish you make. It's not even limited to your political tastes or affiliations. It's not even limited to your mistakes. How many are thankful for that? The promise of God for your life is predicated upon one thing only. God calling you to himself. God calling you to himself. Maybe you're here today, you don't feel very qualified Maybe you don't feel very worthy. Maybe you don't feel like this is something for you. But I want to encourage you. This promise is for you. Acts 2.39 says this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Did you hear it? The promise is for you and for your children. That's why we're dedicating children today. That's where we're blessing children because the promise is for them as well. And for those that are far off, for those that don't know God, for those that have yet to come into a relationship with him. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There it is. The promise of God for you to experience the anointing of the Spirit is really based on this one thing, him calling you to himself. So how does that happen? How does God call us to himself? Pastor Jason, do I need to go dip in the Jordan River seven times? Do I need to go climb the Tibetan mountains to be with the monks? Do I need to go talk to a priest and perform 10 Hail Marys? See a rabbi? Spend time with a self-help coach? Social media influencer? What do I need to do to experience this promise? Let me make it real simple for you today. And for anybody listening to this or watching this online today because God makes it simple. You say yes to the call. You say yes. You say yes. When the Holy Spirit begins to move and and begin, begins to speak to your heart and your life, you don't shut the door on them. You don't get busy with doing other things. I'll I'll get back to you. Holy Spirit. (laughs) No, you say yes the first time and you say yes the next time and you get up every day saying yes over and over and over again. And then you do what the Apostle Peter says to do here in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the verse right before. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will, there's another you will again, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the promise right there. Can I tell you something today? You can't say yes to the calling of God on your life without repentance and baptism. Without repentance. Repentance is is you changing your mind and changing your beliefs about who you think God is in your life. It's you making a turn from doing things your way to doing things his way. That's what repentance is. It's a full turn toward Jesus where your face is toward him and your back is to the world. Just a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer for some of you to do that if you'd like. And baptism is all about you becoming fully immersed in who he is. It's you no longer identifying with your old life and identity, with the things that you used to do. It means that your new identity is in Christ Jesus. You're, you're now identifying with who he is. And we do that through baptism. It's, a, it's an outward symbol of an inward grace. But when you go down to the waters, as it were, you're burying your old life and your old ways in his death. That's why we go down into the water. And when you come up out of the water, you're being raised to new life in his resurrection and in the promise to come. And so you have this new identity that's no longer in Adam. It's no longer in your great, great grandparents, no longer in your, your old ways. Your new identity is in Christ. So it doesn't matter what The world says, it doesn't matter what your parents say, it doesn't matter what your boss says, it doesn't matter what anybody else says, you're now in him. Your life is now in him. And that's why Jesus says, or the Apostle Peter here says, repent and be baptized. Become fully immersed in who Jesus is and receive a new identity from him and you will experience this promise. The anointing and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift for our life. Interestingly enough, when do we first see Jesus anointed, or, or um, when do we first see him receive the promise of the Spirit for his life? When he was baptized, right? We see the Spirit actually descends on Jesus like a dove, and then God speaks out from the heavens, confirming Jesus' identity. He says, What? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What is God doing there in that moment? He's anointing Jesus for mission. He's equipping him for the task that, ha- that Jesus has upon his life, to set people free, to preach good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at, f- at liberty those who are oppressed by the devil, to-, to break the power of the evil one off of the lives of his hearers. And this happens the moment he goes down into the water and he comes up and God says, this is my son. This is my beloved. What is God doing? He's he's announcing his identity. And when you go down into the waters of baptism and you come up, God begins to announce your new identity to the world. It becomes your public confession of faith. And it's not the only time that you'll do it. But it's a time where you get to receive this remarkable gift. We call it the indwelling, infilling presence of the Holy Spirit, where God, the Holy Spirit, comes and begins to take up residence within you. And here's here's what I, I want to shift in us, is that for many of us who've come out of religious culture, we have this idea that we've got to live our best life for God when the invitation is for God to live his life in us. Paul says, I am dead to sin. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The spirit life, the anointed life, is not a life of striving, of doing more, of trying to manage your sin and manage your expectations and accumulate wealth and do all this stuff before you die. The spirit life is a life of yielding to the power and work of God within your life. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Amen. And this invitation is not Just for you when you repent and be baptized. It's not one and done. It's not just at the moment that you do this. It's every day. In Ephesians 5, Paul says to the church, he says, to the church of Ephesus, he says, be filled with the spirit. The word in the Greek means go on being filled. Doesn't mean be filled once and done. All right, thanks, Lord. Thanks for the fill up. Catch you in heaven. No, it's go on being filled. The image that I could give you is like, is like a hose through which or a conduit through which power and presence continue to flow. That happens every day. We yield our life to him. We wake up with this prayer on our life. Come Holy Spirit, fill me today. Anoint me for all the things that you have for my life. It's gonna take the anointing to be nice to the boss that's mean to me. <laughs> it's, gonna be, it's gonna take the anointing to be kind to that coworker who irritates me. Just me? It, it's, gonna, it's gonna take your power and your presence to help me break the addiction, the temptation of the past that comes calling when I've already repented and turned my back on it. Because guess what, friends? Just because you might be dead to it doesn't mean it's dead to you. And it's gonna keep coming for your life. Which means you need the power of his presence. You need to be anointed like Jesus. You need the anointing. Kind of wrap some of this up today before we close. I want to say this: the anointing of the Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we say the Holy Ghost, of Jesus Himself, is about the invitation for Him to live in you, for you to be His temple. See, so we're in this place today and we're, we're gathered in a chapel. That's how I refer to it. It's a nice building. It's got nice wood and ceilings and stained glass. But you are the temple of God. And that's why I believe God is so concerned about how we treat our temples. Come on, somebody. What we fill our temples with each and every day. And let's get real. How about when no one's looking? Right? When temptation comes knocking. Hey, remember me? I'm your old life. <laughs> and we got to be willing to say, you know what? Greater is he that's living in me. When you know that the presence of God is abiding in you, is living in you, it changes what you do with him. It changes the way you act. Well, that's, that's the goal. Changes the sensitivity with which you live your life. Earlier this year, the Bifferts and Kimberly and my wife and I went to a, a conference uh, with a with an older gentleman who spoke a great work a great word about how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he likened it to being sensitive to the presence of a dove that comes and lands on your shoulder. And I think it's a it's a it's a apt metaphor, because what happened with Jesus, a dove comes and descends on him. But the question he asked was this, how would you live your life if you knew that a dove was sitting on your shoulder each and every day? And and what are you doing to scare away the dove? You get angry and violent. There goes the dove. You get mad and you just ah, let yourself go in a tirade. How would you live your life if you knew the Holy Spirit was resting on you like that each and every day? You'd probably be a little slower to, to move, not so quick to react. You'd be sensitive. They say that doves are actually very skittish. They, they frighten easily, they move, they, they, they take off. So so, in my opinion, I think it would look more like moving very carefully, very quietly being very sensitive, to yield to the work of that dove. And we recognize the Holy Spirit is is not a dove. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is a person. It's the person of God working in and on your life. But the idea is this, how sensitive should we be and can we be to his presence? Here's here's where I think we miss it. We, We rush past things in our eagerness to do. Any doers out there? Just me? No, quite a few of you, okay. You're on to the next thing. It's like, all right, what do we got for today? Let's go, boom. And you're, just, you're up, you're, you're jamming, you're running, you're just, you hit the ground running and there's no looking back. Can I encourage you to stop and consider, maybe to, to wait for just a few moments, for those of you for which this is hard, to ask, Holy Spirit, come, fill me, anoint me for today. I want to be sensitive to your move. I want to be sensitive to your work. Maybe for some of you, doing is not the issue. Maybe it's busyness. You just find yourself distracted constantly. Can I tell you, we live with these distraction devices we call phones, and, and this is us, <laughs> just down, scrolling, 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 and the dove wants to land, but we're too busy to notice. We're like, ah, uh. or we're binging, 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 right, and, and I recognize, and these are, these are things that we have to wrestle with uniquely, The technology and all the stuff, as great as it is, it can sometimes cause us to miss the presence of the Holy Spirit when he wants to come. Can I encourage you? Maybe just put the phone down for a minute. Go put it in a different room. Put it in a box. (laughs) Turn it off. Hit the silent button. Disable notifications for a couple hours. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but just give you some ideas. And take a few moments. Just say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and and, and work and operate in my life today. The Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit is a promise for your life, but you have to say yes to it. You have to receive it. It's the promise of God for your life, and it comes the moment you start to answer that call each and every day, the moment that you begin to recognize that you can't do life without him. God, I, I I publicly declare before these people, Lord, that I can't do life without you. As a church, Lord, we cannot do life and ministry without you. Lord, forgive us for trying to do things without you. Forgive us for trying to do it on our own. We can't. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need your presence in our life. Maybe you're here today or watching and say, Pastor Jason, I I want that for my life today. I want to experience wind and fire afresh, afresh. I want to say yes to the call. I want to have a a real, life-giving, vibrant relationship with Jesus. Can I just offer you a simple prayer that I've put together for you? We'll put it up on the screen. Here are three things that you can pray right now and every day. Call me, anoint me, send me. Call me, Father, that I may know your voice. God, we want to know your voice. Jesus, you said, when you pray, Pray, our Father in heaven, you you want us to first and foremost come to you as a father. For anybody in this room today that didn't have a father, doesn't know what that's like, or maybe they had a really bad father, Lord, may you show your goodness to them as our heavenly Father who loves us. Help us to know your voice. Anoint us, Holy Spirit, that we may serve you with power. God, for the stuff that you've put in front of us as a church to overcome and to push through for that breakthrough that's coming and that's to come. Lord, we we need your power to reach the lost in this city. We need your power to to do the things that you did. Jesus, we need your power. Anoint us. Cover us with the oil of your anointing. Smother us in it today. And send us, King Jesus, that others may do the same, so that others may know you, know your voice, experience wind and fire, and know the promise that you have for their life. For anybody here that's never said yes to Jesus for the first time, or anybody watching or listening to this, I want to pray just a special prayer with you, because we never want to end our service without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. You can say this out loud with us, or you can pray it in your heart, but it goes like this, Jesus, Savior, Save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the mess that we make. I believe and I confess that you are the son of God. I believe and confess that you died on that cross for me and that you rose again. I repent of my sins. I turn my back on the world and I I turn my face toward heaven today. Fill me and anoint me with your Holy Spirit all the days of my life and I will follow you. Amen and amen. And amen. Can we put our hands together today, church? For anybody that made that decision, if that was you online or, or watching this, please let us know. DM us, send us an email, info at Let us know about your decision today. And if you're here today and you made that decision, we think that's one of the best decisions that you could ever make. What we want to encourage you to do is to take a next step to take a next step in your faith. And maybe for some of you today, it's just a small little step. Maybe that small step is letting us know going to courageouschurch.com slash connect and and filling out that digital connect card. Or maybe it's telling your, your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend today. Or maybe it's letting somebody know here at church before you leave. Maybe it's even coming and talking with me. But take that next step